So we've talked through this whole letter of Ephesians. We just have one more week after this week in the letter. And as we close up, I want to make sure that you bear in mind the full scope of what we've been talking about. So as Paul started the letter, he gave us a sense of the first task of faith, the first responsibility that he has for us in faith. He prayed it twice. He offered it to us in description that we would come to know the goodness of God. It's the first task of faith. To know God's gift of grace to you as individuals, to us as a community, that God comes to us, that God fills us, that God saves us. He takes us from death in our sin and brings us to new life in Jesus Christ by the gift of faith and offers us an inheritance that we could otherwise not imagine. And that as He does that for each of us individually, that is a part of God's goodness that is gathering all of the brokenness of the world up through Christ and His brokenness and resurrection back into God. That it's all a part of a new creation that God is carrying out in the world. The goodness of God for us deals with the problem of sin that separates us from God. It deals with the problem of identity that that we bring our own family identity and we are brought into the family of God. That we bring our own national identity and we are brought into being citizens among the saints. That we bring whatever religious perspectives we had before and they become subjected to the claims of Jesus Christ. Know the goodness of God in all of its fullness that extends beyond your wildest imagination. Whatever you could ask for or imagine is insufficient to fully know and and think about what the goodness of God for you might be. Because God is going to take thieves and turn them into philanthropists. God is going to take liars and make them ministers not just of any truth, but of the truth of the Gospel. God is going to do incredible things in the lives of those who encounter His goodness. And as you come to know the goodness of God, you find yourself being pieced together with other people that are experiencing the same thing. You find yourself as a member of His body. You find that you belong. That there is a place for you that God's grace has said you fit in here. And as he says that, as he puts you he also says, here are gifts I'm giving you to serve. These gifts are not just for you. They are for the good of the whole body. And my body is offered for the good of the whole world. And therefore, you shouldn't just use them for your own profit, but for the edification of the body and for the good of the world. As you encounter the goodness of God, you're pieced in with the rest of other people who are also finding the same. And you're given a mission that's a part of the larger mission that Jesus has begun by offering His own life and by rising from the dead. As such, you should be prepared for battle as a body. Each of us have unique gifts fashioned for the good of the whole body, but also together we are to operate in faith and in righteousness, and in truth, carrying a message of peace 
which our only offensive weapon is the Word of the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. For war, Paul says. You can be ready for war if you know the goodness of God and if you've been pieced into His body and are ready to act in mission together. But as he goes to this last command, before he gives some really particular things that he offers to the church as he sends this letter out to a particular community, the last thing he says, right after this grand vision of putting on the full armor of God so that you can take on the powers and principalities, he gives one more command. Something that every Christian can do regardless of their bodily capacity, regardless of the time that they think they can do it, regardless of what other claims there are on their lives, all of us can do. Pray. Stay alert in prayer. Pray. Always pray. Without ceasing, you ought to pray. Prayer is the drumbeat underneath all of the other faithful activities of the church that keep us attuned to God and attuned to one another that we can march together. When I was in middle school, I was a percussionist, not a very good percussionist, just on the edge of being able to play the bass drum or the snare. It wasn't clear which one. So for the first Christmas parade, the band director gave me the bass drum. And as we would march, I'd get more bored playing quarter notes the whole time. So the quarter notes would get faster and faster. Which when you're marching is an especially problematic thing because you have to keep marching to the beat. So pretty quickly the whole band was having to run and play jingle bells. It didn't take long before the, before the band director said, Chad, take the snare back. We'll put somebody else on the bass drum. Prayer is that drumbeat that's supposed to let us march together. Paul starts by saying, pray in the Holy Spirit. Prayer leads us into the presence of God as an active effort to step into God's presence, to offer our speech to God and to listen to what God has to say to us. Prayer is an act of abiding in God that we live in the God who has come to us and offered Himself to us and sent His Spirit to live with us. And coming out of prayer, we go with God to serve. Prayer is where we connect in to the Lord. Paul has already said that, that Jesus is the head of the church, right? When each of us as members of the church are connected into God, aware of God's will, operating together as a unit, that unifying force is the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. So the call to pray is not just to offer to the God all of our desires. God can handle all of our, des all of our desires and it is faithful to give them to Him. But prayer is not just a laundry list of requests that we take to God. Prayer is recognizing that we are already in the presence of the Holy Spirit and listening to what the Holy Spirit would have us to do and 
living in fellowship, in conversation, in pure delight of being together with the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit, Paul says. All the time, you should pray in the Spirit. In every prayer, in every supplication. And supplication is is a request. It's the time where we do make our requests known unto the Lord. And then he keeps going and he says, to that, to that end, stay alert. Stay awake. Which is sometimes when I'm praying before I go to sleep, a hard thing to do. But I don't think he just means don't fall asleep while you're praying. I think he means be attentive to the things of God at all times, which is when you ought to be praying. And keep praying in every request for all the saints. Keep making your requests. Pray and pray and pray some more. As we say this, Paul has not very much talked about individual needs. Paul is not only speaking here about medical needs or traveling mercies or those sorts of things, though those things fit. Paul is also talking about the whole letter that he's been writing about, his prayer has been that the church could know the goodness of God and do the will of God. And if that's what Paul is modeling for us in prayer, as he talks about supplication, that's what he wants us to pray for too. That the saints could continually know the goodness of God. That they could stay alert to the goodness of God, to them, to the power of God's grace at work in their lives, to all of the things that He has proclaimed about Jesus. And then that in the midst of that, they could live in perfect mission for God. Pray for all the saints. And then he goes a step further and he does one of the most humble things that Christians can do. He asks for prayer for himself. Pray also for me, because I'm in jail and would like to get out soon. No, that, that wasn't what he said. What he prayed is the same prayer that the apostles prayed in the early part of Acts when they were thrown in jail for preaching about Jesus. Not that God would radically change their circumstances, that God would, would destroy their opposition. He says, pray for me, so that when I speak, I could do so with boldness. So I don't lose my courage. Because these people that have the power to lock me up, these people that have the power to kill me, could kill my courage. They could take away my desire to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel to people who need to hear it, and I need you to pray for me. Because so far, the Lord has not failed him. He has been bold at every corner. He has discerned in the Lord what needs to happen. But Paul is aware, unlike some leaders and preachers become over time, that he's still human. He says, pray for me. Pray that I could continue to do the work God has asked me to do because I am an ambassador of the Gospel in chains. I'm shackled up by the Romans and still, I want you to pray that I may boldly do what God has called me to do. I must keep speaking. So pray that I can. 
stay alert in prayer and pray for all the saints, all of them, and especially for me, Paul. Paul does this right on the heels of talking about all the things that he hopes the church will be about. And he includes himself in that group. He uses the first person plural a lot. He says, we have been uh, called to do this. We have been made one in Christ Jesus. We have been saved by the power of God's grace. We need to be ready for battle. As we say this we, which we could extend to our church, as I've been praying for and mentioning to you throughout the morning and over the course of the last few months, we need to be single-minded in mission. We need to be together in unity of the Spirit as we seek to do what God has called us to do, as we seek to discern what that might be even before we do it. We need to grow. We need to reach new people in the name of the Gospel. We need to do a lot. And as I say that we, it's really important that you be attentive to who's included in the we. Katie and I realized pretty early in our marriage that sometimes there were times where we would use we and we didn't actually mean we. We would say things like, we need to do a better job at picking up. Which really meant Chad needed to do a better job at picking up. Or, Maybe we're not spending enough time together. Maybe that's not a we. Maybe it's a you. Or maybe it's an I. Maybe it's not a we. And so as you think about what the church needs to do, as you have your own ideas about who more memorial is called to be, who we should be, what we should do, I wonder who's included in your we. Does it include God? Does it include yourself? Because these are the two most dangerous errors we can make with our we. That we think we've got to do it all ourselves. And we leave God at the back door hoping that He'll just cover whatever our messes are, but not let Him lead the way. Or, we can sit on our pew and we can look around, or even we can stand at the pulpit and look around and say, well, all this work needs to get done. I hope somebody does it. Does your we include God who can do all things far more than we could ask for or imagine? Does it include that God? And does your we include you? Are you really a member of the body that has gifts and a role that God expects you to use for building up the church? And if so, the way we hold that we together is in prayer. With that drumbeat of prayer shaping our lives and letting us march together, seeking after the face of God and living into the mission of God, whatever may come, whatever may come, we hold that in prayer in the Spirit, if we hold one another in prayer with all of our unique challenges, with all of our unique gifts, with all of our unique distractions, with all of our unique insights, 
the God that we serve can do amazing things. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Teresa of Avila says, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes which He looks in compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which He walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which He will better the world. Bless all the world. You are the hand. You are the feet. You are the eye. You are His body. And if Paul's right, that we're in the middle of battle, we can't have people on the sidelines. We can't have people who are just acting as consumers, who show up wanting a little bit of a fill and go on home to be about the rest of their lives that are really more important. We can't just expect to come and to be fed and not to invest. God has given us gifts to use. We also can't wait until all the circumstances are exactly right when we're given the position that we've waited to get, when we finally are offered that leadership position that we've been waiting for so that we can lead. Over and over again, we have folks who come to us. I serve in, in ministries that help identify and raise up new, new pastors and vet them and those kinds of things. And over and over again, we have people who come and they say, I'm called into ministry. And we say, that's great. How is God using you right now? And they're like, no, I'm called into ministry. Well, how's, how's that bearing fruit in your life right now? Well, I'm not a preacher yet. Okay, well, what are you doing right now? You can't wait till someone gives you the position. You can't wait till you're acknowledged or recognized in the way that you think you deserve. You can't, you can't just work to get somewhere and then start the work. The work starts now. The work starts now. Or maybe already. And we continue on together as we discern what our roles are together. We talked a couple of weeks ago about authority. We talked about how sometimes we imagine that if we could get, just get in the positions of power, we could make everything right. And then it would all be good. Because we imagine ourselves to be good and our motives to be pure and all of those things separate from everyone else. But the way of the Lord, the way of the Gospel, the way of Jesus was not the way into political power or political revolt or turmoil or whatever else. The way of Jesus was steadfast faithfulness through anything, despite anything, in every circumstance, on the cross offering forgiveness to His persecutors. He didn't wait until someone made Him king to be faithful. He came as king, unrecognized though He was, and was crowned with thorns, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father with all the glory anyone could ever imagine. It wasn't the path anyone expected, but it was faithful. And I wonder for you, in your situation, where you are right now, what faithfulness to God looks like. Paul's writing from jail. And Paul does not seek to be released from jail. 
He doesn't say overthrow Caesar. He doesn't say deal with all of the injustice of the whole world. That's not what he feels called to. He's called to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel with boldness. And he does that. If you read the end of Acts, Paul is is arrested. He's in Jerusalem. He's before Agrippa. And they ask him to testify on his behalf. And what he does is start telling them about Jesus to the point that he starts nearly converting the people who are listening to him on legal charges. Pray bold that I could boldly proclaim the Gospel in every situation. Don't wait for the circumstances to change. Start now. And the way that all of us should start, though it might flow out and look a lot of different ways, it might look like caring for our kids on Wednesday nights, which i got to tell you is one of the best times of the week. If, you're, if you've got time to come on a Wednesday night and see the kids and see what they're learning, you should come and be a part of it. It might be joining up on Tuesdays or Wednesdays and sewing. It might be helping with the youth on Sunday nights. It might be coming to the rummage sale this week and being a part of serving kids across the world through shoeboxes or serving our community by providing uh, cheap things for folks or by inviting them to church. All of those things. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's quiet faithfulness in your work or in your classroom where you're going to school this week. But all of it starts with prayer. All of it starts by getting in the rhythm of the Holy Spirit where we are marching together, where we are aware of the calling of God, where we are seeking God and abiding in God and longing for God and all of our efforts and activity are flowing out of that and not out of pleasing other people or making a name for ourselves or making ourselves comfortable and wealthy. Single-mindedness seeking to serve the Lord. Pray in the Spirit at all times. And pray for all the saints. Because we can't do this on our own. We can't stay connected on our own. We're too broken for that. Pray in the Spirit for all the saints. For all of your leaders. For those who will be elected tonight. For those who have been serving for some time. For your pastor. For all of your leaders. Pray for them. Pray. Always pray that each of us can serve our role faithfully. Get off the bench and get into the game. Be ready for battle and move together as one. Pray. Always pray so that we can keep our we to include ourselves, to include all the saints, and to include the Lord that can accomplish more than we could ask for or imagine. Pray. I'm going to open us in prayer, uh, and then I'm going to sit down and invite you to spend some time in prayer silently for the church. We're going to take a few minutes to do this today. And I want you to pray. I want you to look around at the people on your pew, the people in your section, the people across the sanctuary. I want you to pray as much as you can in a few minutes for all the saints. And when I end after a few minutes, you're like, man, I didn't have nearly enough time to pray for everybody then you felt the call to keep praying. Always praying for the folks who are here, for the folks who aren't here this week, for the folks who haven't been here in some time. 
for the leaders of our local church and the church throughout the state and the globe to pray. So let's pray.